Welcome into the Sports Mix Podcast. Uh, this is going to be our 15th episode already uh, here on January. Now, what is the 18th as I'm recording this at about 1 a.m.? And uh, just for some housekeeping, uh, make sure you guys follow at Sports Mix Podcast on Instagram if you haven't already. Um, and then also, obviously, if you haven't followed my Cubs page at the Cubs Wave, I'd really appreciate that. But um, I wasn't on last night as, as I had some friends over for the night. Um, so <clears throat> we're doing the NFL preview uh, show tonight along with, uh, you know, keeping you guys up to date with what went down around the league in the NBA, some college basketball stuff. Uh, this one may be a little bit longer, but we'll see how it goes. I'll try to keep it moving along. And uh, before we get into any of the NFL, we are going to start with hoops, as we usually do on this uh, podcast, especially at this time of the year, um, with football stuff winding down. Obviously, college football is uh, now over with uh, LSU winning and beating Clemson. Um, and then the NFL really winding down with just uh, two games on Sunday, obviously, and then the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. Um, but first, let's break down the NBA. Uh, we finally saw Carl Anthony Towns come back uh, from his injury. And I also want to mention that yesterday, the Timberwolves, I've been mentioning that uh, the Timberwolves kind of need to make a move um, because, you know, the product they're putting on the court is re- really cutting it whatsoever. And I guess they sort of did that a little bit with trading Jeff Teague and Travion Graham to the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, Jeff Teague going back to Atlanta, um, where he, uh, you know, kind of started his career and at least started playing well. And um, so, yeah, good for him going back there. Obviously, it wasn't working anymore with Minnesota, as Napier pretty much was starting over him every game. Um, and in return, we got Alan Crabb. Not a huge addition there, but the most important part about this trade was that it really opens a door for a D'Angelo Russell trade to come to fruition at Minnesota, and that's exciting because, you know, I love D'Lo, and I think having him and Cat for the future would make a lot of sense. Anyways, Cat came back, um, and, you know, the Timberwolves competed in this one. You have to give them credit against a tough Pacers team especially at the Fieldhouse, um, where they improved to 17-5 and with a two-point victory over the Wolves. Uh, TJ Warren had a really nice game after uh, this was a home-and-home series for these two teams, uh, just playing last on uh, Wednesday. Um, But anyways, uh, he bounced back with a nice game, and then uh, Towns had 27, Wiggins uh, playing well. Uh, alongside Towns, you know, we saw Wiggins really struggle in Towns' absence. We'll see if he can get it going like he was in the first couple of months. But um, it's going to be another throwaway year for the Timberwolves. And we'll see what uh, the Pacers can do in the East there, especially if they get um, a home series, at least one home series in the playoffs. Next up, we had Philly um, playing well once again at home. You know, they're just 7-14 and on the road, but 20-2 and now at home. As uh, surprisingly, Furkan Korkmaz uh, led the team in scoring. As, of course, Joel Embiid stays out. Um, And as for Chicago, uh, it was just kind of the normal suspects here. Zach Levine, you know, leading the team. uh, Chris Dunn had a terrible game. He might have gotten injured. Let me double check that. Because he only played 15 minutes. He didn't score. Let's see. Um... 
I'm not seeing anything. So he must have maybe got benched. I'm not really sure. Um, Lowry Markkinen continues to underperform just 12 points. I've mentioned his, um, you know, downfall, I guess I should say, uh, in, in the last year, uh, just not getting the opportunity and Jim Boylan not helping anything there, but, uh, let's keep moving along as Philly got the 11 point W at home. Toronto absolutely killed Washington, um, in a game that, uh, they didn't have, um, Fred Van Vliet, that's who was out in this one. Um, but the rookie, Terrence Davis, who we mentioned, uh, I want to say a week and a half or so ago, uh, had another nice game. He dropped 23, and Norman Powell had 28 off the bench uh, for Toronto. Um, I mentioned also that they need to get their bench scoring going, so that was a good sign from them. But, I mean, <clears throat> when you win by 29, um Typically, that's what happens when Pascal Siakam only plays 25 minutes as uh, he's coming back from injury. I think this was his fourth game back. Uh, Marcus Saul's second game back from injury, only played 29 minutes. So Toronto's finally getting healthy um, as they sit, I want to say, fourth in the East. I'm double-checking that right now. Yeah, fourth in the East behind Boston and Miami. Obviously, no one's going to come close to the Bucks uh, as of right now. Um, and I would assume that would stay that way. Next up, uh, the Miami Heat, who have really struggled away from their home court, uh, got a W against the Thunder, in which the Thunder were favored by a couple points. Um, and Kendrick Nunn, after scoring uh, 33 points, I think, in his last game, had uh, 22 tonight. And um, another guy I want to mention on the OKC side that's really been playing some really good ball um, is that Danilo Gallinari, um, you know, an underrated signing, I think, for OKC. And he's kind of been uh, the glue that keeps everything together, in my opinion. Um, obviously, Shea Gilgis-Alexander leading the way this whole year. Dennis Schroeder is provided off the bench. Um, and Chris Paul is dishing out assists. But Gallinari kind of seems to do it all. He did that again tonight with a 27-6-4 stat line. And whenever you can shoot 7-12 from three... You give your ch- uh, team a chance to win. But uh, like I said, Kedrick Nunn was great tonight once again. And, you know, he really led the way in what was another off night for Jimmy Butler. Back-to-back off nights. But um, it just goes to show Miami um, and how how good Miami's playing on defense um, along with, you know, that W last time out against the Spurs. Next game we had was between Memphis and Cleveland. Unfortunately, I bet... Uh, Memphis minus nine and a half in this game and just because I thought that you know against a a very bad poor Cleveland team especially on the road uh, that you know Memphis who's playing really good ball honestly recently I want to say that they've won uh, I don't know if they've lost since we last spoke I'm double checking right now because I know they beat Houston earlier in the week Let's see here. No, yeah, they're on a seven-game win streak, eighth in the West, and just a couple games under five hundred. as John Morant had an absolutely insane uh, alley-oop finish from Jay Crowder. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch that as he balled out. And I also want to give props to uh, the Oregon product, Dylan Brooks. I mean, that kid's really turned it on as of late, dropped another 26 tonight. And... Um, you know, Memphis has really taken shape with their squad. I like what uh, Jonas Valanciunas has been doing recently. And, 
Um, you know, it's been a little surprising to me that Jaron Jackson hasn't been more of a force uh, in this win streak. But um, that just goes to show, like, what these other guys can do. Like I mentioned, Valanchunas and Brooks really stepping up. You know, their bench isn't great, but Brandon Clark has produced um, in the time given to him. And uh, I think that Tyus Jones as well. I mean, he's not going to produce crazy stats or anything behind Morant, but uh, he's a guy that, you know, at Minnesota at least too, like he provides quality minutes off the bench. Um, But give credit to Cleveland at the same time because, you know, for Cleveland to keep it within single digits uh, is, you know, kind of a, a moral win for them. And it does kind of suck that Memphis only won by four because they were up by 16 entering the fourth. So I thought my nine and a half was good to go. Um, But that was a little unfortunate as Cleveland came back in the fourth. Anyways, Memphis got their seventh straight W in that one. Uh, We had um, an upset in San Antonio. I guess it's not a huge upset because the Spurs have, you know, been underwhelming all season, but... The Hawks uh, outscored the Spurs by 11, or sorry, 12 in the fourth quarter um, after trailing by 11, and they won by a point in a comeback victory in San Antonio. Um, Kevin Herter had the go-ahead, eventually game winner. I think it was like five seconds left or something like that. Um, And it was the first Hawks win in San Antonio since 1997. Uh, you really got to like what you've seen out of some of these younger guys in Atlanta. Cam Reddish at 22. John Collins is a guy that I really like personally. Um, I think that he is underrated, and people don't give him as much credit as they should. And, um, you know, um, DeAndre Hunter's got a ways to go, I think, still. But uh, he's he's, you know, had some flashes of upside. And then you always got to love, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, Mr. Veteran, Vince Carter, having 14 points. As uh, the Spurs were without Rudy Gay tonight, um, and Aldridge did drop 30 points, but it wasn't enough as, you know, DeRosa and Aldridge really can't get anything else from from these peripheral players. I mean, Trey Lyles, yeah, he played 20 minutes, and yeah, he grabbed 10 boards, but the dude had zero points. Bryn Forbes who a lot of people regard as a sharpshooter, wasn't on tonight, and he's had a down year as he shot one of six from three, had seven points. And uh, you know it's an issue when your third highest score is Patty Mills off the bench in 24 minutes. Um, Not anything against Patty Mills, but, you know, you would just expect that, like, Forbes or even Deontay Murray, who, um, you know, got minutes in this game, 33 minutes, was second on the team in minutes. Uh, They just got to produce more, and... Uh, you know, Trey Young had 31, but all in all, an upset there is Atlanta got their 10th win. And then the last game, uh, Luka Doncic was lights out from three-pointer, uh, which was, you know, a little surprising, I guess, as he shot 8-12 from beyond the arc. And uh, he dropped 35 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, close to his 13th double-double. While uh, Damian Lillard, this was a bad beat in FanDuel for me because... I learned that he had upper respiratory illness or whatever, um, which is pretty much like you're breathing, right? And uh, he was a late add to the uh, injury report, <clears throat> but stupid Fandle doesn't have any late swaps. So you know, I assumed that CJ McCollum was in a good enough spot where even if 
Dame played that, you know, it'd be a fast-paced game against Dallas. That there'd be a lot of points scored um, in this game. However, uh, unfortunately, Lillard played, unfortunately for my fan duel lineup. And then on top of that, CJ McCollum rolled his ankle um, in the second quarter. So that really hurt. But Dame went off, actually. So, so much for that illness. As uh, they played him 40 minutes, too, which I thought was a little unreasonable. Um, but he did drop 34 points and have 10 assists. Uh, wasn't enough, though, as Portland continues to really struggle, especially on the road, as they drop to 18-25 and 25 on the season after their 8-point loss in that one. As for um, some other news regarding the NFL, we'll get to college basketball in a second. Jason Garrett uh, was named the offensive coordinator of the Giants as he stays in the NFC East. So that'll be interesting as we see that play out um, <laughs> for <clears throat> the Giants. I just don't understand like why they would do that. I mean, you're just asking for controversy. But then again, like they love that kind of shit. Um, and I mean, can you really blame them? They're the Giants. As for college basketball, we had a couple big Big Ten matchups um, as Wisconsin traveled to Michigan State. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, they traveled to Michigan State where Michigan State handled business. They won 67-55. to 55, um, And what, what was a pretty off night, I guess, for... Uh, guard Cassius Winston. He didn't shoot well at all. Um, but Michigan State, like I said, took care of business. Nate Reavers for Wisconsin was pretty much the only guy that came to play basketball, it seemed like. As uh, only one other player, Kevin King, was in double digits for the Badgers. As you know, they're, they're a really on and off team. I mean, when I bet on them against Maryland, they uh, did me well, but you know, coming into Michigan State here, I know it's a tough place to play, but they just kind of rolled over, and from the beginning, I mean, they were down 15 and a half, um, so I guess nothing too exciting there, and then in the rematch of the uh, first game between Michigan Wolverines and the Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, we saw a shit ton of points, like, I think the score was like 88 to 90 in the first matchup or something like that. And uh, this one was pretty much the same as Iowa scored 90. Uh, they beat Michigan 90-83, to 83, number 19 Michigan, as Luca Garza, the big man, uh, who had, I want to say, like 44 points against Michigan in the first game around. He had 33 tonight with seven boards. He's got to be a top three big man in this conference. Um, as Michigan <clears throat> actually entered this game as a five-and-a-half-point underdog, uh, it just goes to show, especially in this conference, that the home team, like, damn near always is favored, I swear. And I was tempted to take the points with Michigan, but then I just realized, like, no, like, it's just, it's not worth it because I forget what the number is, but the Big Ten, by far, uh, more than any other conference, has just a crazy win percentage for teams at home. Um, I want to say that the number is, like, like 38 and... 10 or even less like 38 and 8 or something like that for home teams in conference play so far this year uh so for what take that for what it's worth especially when you know if you're throwing money on these games like like I said if you if it's a tough place to play 
and uh, you like the road team, just be hesitant um, because really any home team that has a good crowd or not even a good crowd, but if they're home, like you've just seen it happen in this conference so far this year and more than any other year. Um, but moving on to the last game, I didn't see any of this one between Dayton and St. Louis. Uh, Dayton 5-0 and in their conference, but had a little bit of a scare in overtime against St. Louis on the road. St. Louis is a team that, you know, they'll give you troubles, I guess. I mean, I, they've been at least relevant in the last few years, it seems like. But Dayton ended up winning by two in that one. And looking ahead to tomorrow, uh, we're just going to go through the top 25 matchups. Actually, there's a ton of them, so I'm just going to touch on a few of them here. Uh, Creighton at 25 playing Providence as a six and a half point favorite. I like Creighton to take care of business at uh, the CHI Health Center Omaha. Baylor, number two in the country, will travel to Oklahoma State, who hasn't won a game in the Big 12. Um, let's see, what else here? Ohio State travels to Penn State, where Ohio State finds themselves as one and a half point favorites. I like Penn State in that one. Um, Penn State after dropping that game to Minnesota, and I think that they're gonna, you know, come out strong in that game. And Ohio State really hasn't proved to me anything against even competent teams in the Big Ten, as they've only beaten uh, last game they got off their four-game losing streak and beat Nebraska, and then before that, uh, their only other Big Ten win. Let's see here. They lost to Indiana, Maryland, Wisconsin, the Gophers. They beat Penn State earlier in the year, I guess I should say. Um, But I don't know. They're just playing different right now. I don't like that at all uh, for Penn State – or for Ohio State, sorry. So um, I like Penn State getting the one and a half. Number five, Butler, who just lost to Seton Hall, is only a three and a half point favorite at DePaul, who – is 0-4 in the Big East. I think that number is a little crazy, honestly. That doesn't make any sense to me. They might... I don't know if they have an injury or anything, but that's, that line seems very fishy to me. Number four, or, or Auburn, sorry, travels to Florida uh, and Gainesville. And then, uh, let's see. Louisville taking on Duke. Number 11, Louisville at Duke at Cameron Indoor. That'll be a good game. Um, and I expect Louisville to cover the seven and a half. I just think that's too many points for, you know, two tough programs in the ACC. I know that Cameron Indoor is a tough place to play. Um, San Diego State, who is the only undefeated team left in Division One basketball, um, they're in the Mount West Conference hosting Nevada as a 13-point favorite. And then to round off uh, the games at 9 o'clock tomorrow night in Spokane, uh, Gonzaga, Number one in the country is a 13-point favorite against BYU, who seems to play them tough every year. I actually like BYU plus the points. Uh, just one game after Gonzaga just smacked Santa Clara. And I think that, you know, after playing Eastern Washington, Detroit, Portland, Pepperdine, San Diego, um, Loyola Marymount, and Santa Clara, like BYU is a team that uh, finally gives – Gonzaga, I think a little bit more competition than tip than usual, so um, you know if you're throwing down some some money tomorrow, I think that those are the games that I lean on. Um, let's move now. Let's focus our attention to the NFL games, and um, 
I'm going to be giving you guys my picks, um, kind of some a little bit of analysis on it. And uh, let's get right into it with the first game on Sunday. This one is at 2.05 Central Time at Arrowhead Stadium on CBS. I'd assume that uh, Tony Romo is announcing this game. But over on Bovada, I should even I should mention the uh, two teams playing first, shouldn't I? The Kansas City Chiefs hosting uh, the Derrick Henry-led Tennessee Titans. And it looks like uh, Bovada, I'm seeing 7.5-point favorites for the Chiefs. It's actually 7.5-point lines in both of these games with uh, Tennessee 7.5, getting 7.5 at minus 115 odds. Kansas City minus 105 as the favorite. And then on the flip side... Uh, we have Green Bay at you know getting the seven and a half, but they're at minus one hundred five odds at that number. Uh, San Francisco minus seven and a half at minus one fifteen odds, showing us that uh, you know more money's coming in on the Niners uh, on that side on that to- or yeah on the uh, against the spread, while more money is coming in on Tennessee to cover uh, the seven and a half and. For the first game, I just can't bet against the spread against Tennessee right now. Um, and I would advise you that if you are betting on this game to... Um, I know it's hard to do this, and sometimes this means that you don't get any action on the game, but I truly do think that it's the right way to bet this game. A live bet makes a lot of sense in this one, and I think you could even pull the trigger after just one or two possessions because, in my opinion, um, and I know obviously a lot of people have this opinion, it's just that uh, if Tennessee is able to get out to any lead to begin this game, I think it totally changes um, the way you'd want to bet it. Um, like I said, if you're gonna, you know, if you put a metaphorical gun to my head and told me I had to put money on this game before kickoff, I would take Tennessee at plus seven and a half. First off, because I think that they can, um, you know, the only way that they'd have a chance to win in this game is by giving Derrick Henry the ball once again for at least 25, 30 carries. But, also, I think that half point, you know, that hook is pretty big. And um, I just want to mention that if Tennessee gets out to any point, you know, any lead at a point, just like they did against New England and Baltimore, um, that's right in their wheelhouse. You know, they want to control pos- time of possession. Um, you know, Connor reminds me, you know, both the Niners and the Titans kind of remind me of the same game plan in that they have these quarterbacks, you know, they everyone knows they're not great, obviously. Um, but, you know, they need to play error-free ball to win the game, and they've been doing that. And I just haven't seen anyone, <clears throat> excuse me, be able to stop Derrick Henry from having, you know, five, six yards of carry. And when you can do that, you know, we saw the we saw the script to beat the Chiefs and Mahomes. And I think the team that did it best all year actually was the Colts. Um, I forget which week that was. It was a Sunday night game. 
And, you know, with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, I feel like, you know, no one gave the Colts a chance in that game to win that. But they fed the ball to Marlon back, um, and they just ran it. And I think that Tennessee, like, that's exactly what they want to do because the key is not only are you taking down time possession and you're wearing out their defense, but the biggest part of that game plan is that you're keeping Mahomes off the field because we saw how fast that things can change last week, obviously with their explosive offense. You know, so many playmakers, when you look up and down that offense, it starts with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, but it goes all the way down to guys like Damian Williams, Sammy Watkins, Mikko Harbin, like... It just goes on and on, and um, I think that the biggest part of that game plan is not to get Henry involved. It's more to keep Mahomes off the field, and especially if you're going to be betting against the spread um, and a team in the Chiefs that has uh, won straight up and covered against the spread in their last seven games, like you're going to need uh, to keep Mahomes off the field. And, you know, I know people will say, like, oh, well, the Texans won time of possession by 10 minutes last game. Well, the thing about that is they never established any sort of running game. And, you know, I think they got lucky, obviously, in that first quarter to get up 21 nothing and eventually 24-0 in the second quarter. But they never had the run game. So you knew that if Mahomes could start throwing the ball, that eventually that offense was going to catch up with the Texans. Um, I just think it's a totally different game plan for Tennessee in this one. I like them against the spread. I would be more hesitant to say that they win this game because uh, switching to the Chiefs side of things and why you know I think the Chiefs will win the game is because when I look at this and especially last week against the Texans, which I just mentioned, you know the twenty-four to zero start, being able to overcome that deficit uh, speaks volumes to. You know, Mahomes' leadership, but also just how explosive that offense is. And the other thing about that is you can't tell me that that won't be the hardest part um, for the Chiefs to overcome this offseason. I just think that was so fluky. I understand that Tennessee's done it to two teams now, and especially Baltimore, where they just kind of kicked their ass in the sec- in the first half and continue to in the second half, um, which obviously no one saw coming. Um, but I think that was the hardest thing that they had to get through this off or this uh, postseason, and to be able to already do that, it kind of just you know makes you think that they're gonna come out and you know because they know that Tennessee wants to score first, they want to you know get that first turnover if Kansas City has the ball, uh, because that's gonna spark what they want to do. But the key with the Chiefs is they're gonna you know be more focused, I think, in coming out. And start well because of what they saw happen last week and how quick, you know, the tables can really turn on you. And um, you know, I think the same thing would go for Baltimore if they had won last week. That you know they would come out and just look like a totally different team in the second week of the playoffs. But you know sometimes that bye week hits you different. I think that's what happened with Kansas City, and I think they're just more ready to play to start this game. And um, so yeah, I mean I like Kansas City to win it. I wouldn't fault you for betting Kansas City against the spread because I do think that if they come out firing and they're up like 14 nothing, that no one would be surprised if they won by at least 7.5, but more like 10 or 14 points by a couple touchdowns. And the other thing I think Kansas City makes you do, which obviously the uh, Patriots and Ravens couldn't do this, so I'm not really going off of anything that 
you know, Tennessee's shown as a weakness per se, but um, if Kansas City can come out more focused, grab a lead early, we finally have to see Ryan Tannehill make plays and um, nothing against Tannehill, you know, necessarily he's played a good year, but I just think that, you know, Kansas City makes them or makes Tannehill throw the ball that eventually, you know, a couple interceptions or whatever is bound to happen. Um, and, you know, the other thing is that T- Tennessee, I think, has won six straight road games. And I want to say that there's been no team in NFL history to ever win seven straight uh, road games is what I heard earlier in the week. So Tennessee would literally have to make history to win this game. Now, once again, they've done some incredible things with Derrick Henry, who, you know, I'm sure they've made history in multiple facets already. So I'm not going to count Tennessee out in this game. Um, but against the spread, when I look at the spread, I really like Tennessee to cover that number, especially with the hook at seven and a half. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I think for this game. So I'm not going to fault you if you take Kansas City minus seven and a half. Um, I do think that their defense has played better recently. Um, you know, once again, that first quarter was a little bit fluky against the Texans, but if their pass rush can get hits on Tannehill, and Mahomes can take care of the ball without, you know, forcing turnovers like we saw what happened last week with Lamar Jackson and kind of gifting uh, Tennessee back into the game, or not back into the game, but, you know, really into the game and giving them confidence early in the game, too, is important. Um, You know, I do think that Kansas City will win this game. I just would be hesitant to lay that number um, against a team that, you know, wants to run the ball a lot. Next up, we have the Green Bay Packers taking on uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, currently, at a number of 7.5, we have two-way action coming in on this number. Uh, Green Bay at 51%. uh, San Fran, we have 49% of bets coming in. Well, uh, we have a little bit of edge to the over. That number uh, sitting now, or no, it was over at 46.5, but... Now it's moved up to 47, so the under's juiced a little bit at minus 115. I also want to mention that, uh, excuse me, I'm yawning, it's t- I'm getting a little bit tired, but um, that first game, it's an over-under of 53, and I think that that comes down to um, if Kansas City gets out to the lead, I like the over, of course. If Tennessee does, it's the under. So I, I think that's where the live bet comes into play. You, of course, could bet um, money line or against the spread on live line. But the thing is with that is it's just a little bit risky because, you know, if you like Tennessee and Tennessee comes out and gets a turnover and takes the lead, you're going to see that number go down on the total, which uh, you don't necessarily want. Um, or actually, no, you would want that, but you might see them become like, you know, three-point underdogs or something, and you wouldn't want to do that. I don't think there's value in that. If anything, if Tennessee if Tennessee scores first and you can get, like, minus three for Kansas City, I think that bet would make a lot of sense. Um, and uh, if you do do that, then I guess, yeah, you'd want to take the over because I'm sure that number would fall just a little bit. Anyways, let's move on to the other game with Green Bay at San Francisco and... Yeah. Excuse me. Um, I just don't see the Packers winning this one. Um, and sorry, I just remembered for the first game that Tennessee's already beaten Kansas City. 
uh, right after Mahomes came back from injury in his first game. Tennessee shocked them and won by, I want to say, three points. So for what that's worth, you know, Tennessee's done it before in Kansas City this year already. So, I mean, anyone's counting Tennessee out is just kind of stupid in my opinion. Like, you should not count on a team that can run the ball and has a good defense. All right, finally see the other game. I like San Francisco. I think that, um, well, first off, I'm not going to be betting on the Packers um, just because I'm a Bears fan. I don't want to see them win. But also, like an unbiased opinion, obviously, uh, they they already beat the Packers 37-8 to um, at San Francisco as Green Bay was 1-15 of 15 on third downs in that game. And... Uh, the the uh, Niners D finished with 10 hits and 5 sacks on Rodgers, while George Kittle had 6 catches for 129 and a touchdown. And I just think that, you know, even though Green Bay is playing better, watching them last week, I think that you know, they got a little bit lucky. If, you know, you listened to my last podcast about, or not the last episode, but the last one, uh, I think it was last Sunday night, about the Packers. Um, in that game and I think you know when they convert 9 of 14 third downs that's not going to happen against San Francisco along with going 3 for 3 in the red zone while uh, not committing one turnover so you know I just think that San Francisco's defense you know Buckner, Bosa, and Quan Alexander, D Ford and then most importantly I think that um, the the Packers top receiver Devonte Adams is going to be limited. Um, I don't. Uh, limited is the wrong word because people think he's injured. But I'm saying, um, you know, having Sherman on him, I think that um, you know they'll be able to double team Devonte Adams. I'm not sure exactly what Alan Lazard's uh, availability is. I can actually double check that right now because I think that's big um, when it comes to the Vikings' secondary receiver threat. So he looks like he was, yeah, so he's actually not on the injury report. He was limited on Wednesday at practice, but looks like he's good to go. Anyways, I still think they double-team him or at least shadow him. That is Devontae Adams. And we saw that the Niners held Adams to seven catches for 43 yards and no scores in the first game. Um, or Actually, no, he did have a touchdown, but it was later on. Anyways, um, I just think that San Francisco... He's going to be able to stop their run game for, you know, Aaron Jones and company. And that's going to force Rodgers to throw the ball with, you know, not consistent receiving core. While on the flip side, uh, the San Francisco defense held Delvin Cook to two yards a carry and just nine carries. So, um, you know, the Vikings offense in that game was just absolutely horrendous. Excuse me, I'm really tired of just yawning and yawning. Anyways, I'm going to try to wrap this up soon so I stop doing that. But um, besides Stephon Diggs' long, you know, kind of broken play, 41-yard touchdown, um, the other 32 next plays in the game, the Vikings totaled 40 yards. I just think this this defense um, for the Niners and defensive coordinator Robert Saleh is just – it's on a different level uh, for – San Francisco, especially getting D Ford back. And then I also think that eventually they'll just be able to wear down Green Bay, um, whose defense has been better. But when you have a three-headed monster in, you know, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, and then, of course, Raheem Mostert, 
you know, they're going to feed the hot hand, the guy that's fresh. We saw it last week with Tevin Coleman's 22 carries on 105 yards um, and two touchdowns. As San Francisco isn't afraid to just feed the hot hand and keep those guys rolling um, in and out of the game. I I just think uh, the Niners at minus seven, I would buy the ha- the hook because I'm not too confident in the Niners like winning by 10 or anything like that. But um, I just think the Packers have kind of played with fire a little too much this year. Um, you know, I think that they get burned once again at San Francisco after, you know, that first game was just horrendous for them. And, you know, I think the pass rush can overwhelm Rodgers as much as they did Kirk Cousins and company for the Vikings um, last week. And I think that if you can stop Aaron Jones like they did Delvin Cook last week, um, you really force Rodgers to throw the ball a lot more to you know unreliable receivers. So even though the Packers have won six straight, um, I like the Niners to cover. Especially you know if you're not if you're not feeling it with the spread, I really do think that they at least win the game. And you know ten and two straight up in their last twelve games as a favorite. Well, the Packers are 3-12-1 straight up in their last 16 as an underdog. And we all know, which I mentioned after uh, the Packers' W over Seattle, that the Packers are a shell of themselves on the road. And, um, you know, I just think that you see them get more calls, um, a lot more fan momentum, obviously, being at home at Lambeau. And, you know, consistently they haven't played well on the road, especially on the western uh on the west coast I should say. So I like the uh Niners in that game. I would uh as for the total, I would lean towards the under. Um I think that you see a similar game to last week for the Niners if they're able to, you know, get into control of this game. Um I do worry a little bit more obviously about, you know, Rodgers just going off compared to Kirk Cousins last week, but at the same time, if you're able to run the ball and stay up at least seven to ten points all game, that uh, you know San Fran has a good enough offensive line and of course defense to keep that number under forty-seven points. So that's where I stand on the two games. Once again, to recap, I like uh, Tennessee against the spread. If I had to bet it right now before kickoff at plus seven and a half, but uh, depending on which way this game starts. Um, if Kansas City scores first, I don't think you can go against Kansas City. Um, but if Tennessee does score first, I like uh, definitely the under and um, would like Tennessee. But at the same time, I think that if you are adamant on Kansas City winning this game and Tennessee does score first, that you know you hammer a number like minus three or minus four for Kansas City against the spread which it would become, you know, if Tennessee got out to a lead at the beginning. And then I like the over if Kansas City scores first and the under if Tennessee scores first. I think that one's pretty plain and simple for me. But uh, probably going to be doing a live bet on that one. And then as for the other game, I like buying the half point. I know the un- or the seven minus seven and a half is already juiced for San Fran. If you buy the half point, make it minus seven. It is minus 130, but I do think that, you know, reducing your odds like that is worth it in this situation, considering that, you know, would you be that surprised if, you know, down 14 or something, uh, Green Bay gets a 
you know, garbage touchdown at the end? Of course not. And, you know, when you're playing in the postseason, uh, I just wouldn't be skimpy about that, especially at seven. That seven is a huge critical number in the NFL. Anyways, guys, it's going to do it for me. I hope you enjoyed, you know, my takes on the games this weekend, uh, along with, you know, catching you guys up with what happened in the NBA and college basketball tonight. You know, that big W for Iowa as I'm watching it here on the screen. But anyways, I'll be back tomorrow to break down the huge slate of college basketball. And, um, you know, I hope you guys have a great weekend and thanks for listening.